Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. My name is Colleen Dietz. Join me and my guests each week for an entertaining recap of the hottest topics in Mormonism. We keep tabs on social media and headline news so you don't have to. Don't miss our live pro tips as you adjust to your new and exciting post-Mormon life. Mormon Happy Hour is here to bring you the irreverent side of Mormonism, wherever you may be. Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. This is episode 95, and it has been a busy week outside of the fact that it is the week before Christmas. It's crazy. We've had the uh, letter to the IRS director whistleblower leak just earlier this week, and at the exact same time, the church released some updates to Handbook 2, the the long-promised updates regarding children of same-sex couples. And so these are the updates that they have brought us. They came out with some, then a few days later, they revised them, and they went from bad to possibly worse, depending on your interpretation or on um, local leadership through roulette. So here to talk about those changes is my very good friend, Blair Osler, to share with us her queer perspective on these updates to Handbook 2 regarding... um, you know, these LGBTQ issues and really anything that has to do with politics or um, which includes feminism, folks, and and really anything that is uh, different from the white traditional Utah Mormon culture. If you stand out, you're pulling the focus of the meeting away from Jesus. So before we get into that, I did have just a little bit of housekeeping while I've got you. Uh, first of all, thank you so very much for the very generous Venmo donation that came in this week following the whistleblower episode. Thank you so much, Joelle, for reaching out and dropping me some much needed support. I really appreciate it. I was able to get that laptop for Black Friday. So thank you to all of you who have supported Mormon Happy Hour financially because now I have better equipment to make a better product for you. So thank you. And then also one more plug for the Ask an Apostate episode. I'm so excited to hear your questions, your situations. It's it's the advice column every ex-Mormon needs in their life. So I'm going to I'm I'm anxiously awaiting your questions. I will read your questions with such excitement and I will be finding you amongst all the wonderful people that I have met over the past two years hosting Mormon Happy Hour. I will find you the best advice and we will discuss whatever it is that you need us to discuss and give you the best advice we can. So ask an apostate, you know how to get a hold of me. The voicemail is 435-494-1427, mormonhappyhour at gmail.com at Mormon Happy Hour at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. There's also the Facebook group for Mormon Happy Hour podcast. And I I don't know. And angelsonfire.org is the website where Mormon Happy Hour lives. You can also contact me through the website. Thanks so much, friends. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season, whatever that holiday may be. And just know that I love you. I'm so happy that we are kind of all in this together. And I look forward to getting you getting to know you even better next year. All right. Cheers. Please enjoy Blair Osler.
welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. We just got done talking about finances and transparency in the church like days ago, and uh, there was a little issue that crept up and got completely overshadowed that I am absolutely making a point that needs to be heard loud and clear, and I brought my favorite expert on the subject, my queer friend Blair Ostler. Hi, Blair. Hello. Good to be here. (laughs) Thanks so much. It's crazy busy. It's the holiday season. There's already crazy news with uh, politics and, uh, you know, the church. And thank you for taking the time to stop by and tell tell us, like, these aren't just feels. These are, like, personal uh, experience. Like, this is you. And I really appreciate you diving into that kind of that trauma right here right now before you know in the crazy holiday season so thank you well yeah there's a lot of big things going on and these things need to be talked about and if we don't open up the bandages and take a look what's underneath we can't fix the problem (sighs) so true so Blair there was uh, an update in the handbook to the LGBTQ policies within the LDS church that just kind of sneaked out do you want to give us a little bit more information well oh yeah. Wait, Blair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourself for five minutes or five seconds? I forgot. For anyone who of doesn't course. already know who Blair is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I just come on and you're just like, everybody knows Blair, right? Um, <laughs> no, my, my, my name is Blair Osler. Uh, I am a philosopher and I specialize in queer studies. Uh, I serve on three boards. I serve on the board of Sunstone the Mormon Transhumanist Association, and the Christian Transhumanist Association. Um, I'm also a writer, advocate, artist, um, anything I can do to just uh, raise hell and do what Jesus would do because Jesus rose hell, okay? Um, In all the right ways. And uh, I'm just super happy to be here and talk about the latest changes in the handbook as it relates to the LGBTQ community. Exactly. Not not that we're excited about the changes, but we're excited to talk about them. to talk about it (laughs) and I apologize in advance for my voice I'm getting over bronchitis so if I sound like a chain smoker that's totally normal for bronchitis people (laughs) (laughs) it's just her sexy bedroom voice that she's going to share with us today (laughs) I love that my sexy hey honey how's it going (laughs) (laughs) I only smoked three packs today so I'm kind of fresh (laughs) Fresh. I feel it's super extra today. Let's do this. Let's do this, Colleen. <laughs> okay. Um, so this crept out of nowhere. Uh, and I love how we're using humor to cope with it right now. And tell us, like, where you heard about it. Where where did it come from? The church released that they were going to basically um, reverse the policy. And so the handbook mm-hmm. needed to reflect that, the policy of exclusion. Um, and they actually did release these things in the handbook. And um, now to qualify for baptism, uh, uh, kids of LGBTQ parents can now be baptized so long as they have the consent of their parents. So that, that change is good and normal and expected. Um, another uh, fun tidbit side effect, polygamous children or children of polygamous families can now be baptized so long as the parents give their consent and they understand the uh, 
community rules and everything of uh, the LDS church. Mm-hmm. And um, so all these things are being released in the handbook, but okay. there's a few other little changes that took place in the handbook too. Just like we couldn't just reverse the policy. We had to throw in these extra little things to be like, Oh, we're taking this one step forward, but hold on. Not so fast. We're going to throw some other things in there too. And uh, okay. there's a few passages that have been uh, causing a little bit of trouble. I first heard about them um, just on social media. I think it was, I was on Twitter and I saw the link and then I started seeing the screenshots of it and reading through and everything. And, um, you know, let's, let's just read it. The, uh, I'll pull it up right now. The original change to the handbook and the passage that struck me the most was I'll read it. It's in the, um, handbook two, uh, section 17 and, uh, it's the second paragraph down and it says, Those who attend church uh, should avoid disruptions or distractions contrary to worship or other purposes of the meeting. All age and behavior requirements of different church meetings and events should be respected. That requires refraining from overt romantic behaviors and from dress and grooming that causes distractions. It also precludes making political statements or speaking of sexual orientation or other personal characteristics that detract from the meetings focused on the Savior. Now, the part that was most interesting to me (laughs) was the very last sentence. Um, Actually, the two last sentences are the ones most being talked about on social media. And so if you read the last sentence, I'll read the last sentence again. It says, it also precludes making political statements or speaking of sexual orientation or other personal characteristics that detract from meetings focused on the Savior. So, wow. It's just like they already assumed bringing up someone's sexual orientation is going to distract from like the spirit of the meeting and things like that without any inclination that heterosexuality is a sexual orientation. Right. I can't tell you how many church meetings I've been to where I go, I go into Relief Society and she's got a doily there with a framed picture of her temple ceiling with her and her husband, right? And it's like, that's uh, kind of relating to sexual orientation, personal uh-huh. characteristics, gender, uh-huh. and all sorts of things. So are there no more doilies and framed pictures of people going to the temple? Because uh-huh. what they're really trying to say here, like what, what, it, what it feels like, it's saying, oh, all sexual orientations other than heterosexuality. Because exactly. the, the – the, yeah, like the, the, the blinders are on so thick that it's like, we're not, we're not even going to address that or sexuality because that's not an orientation. That's just how everyone is. And if you're not that, you're wrong. Right. Right. It's, it's, it only, normal is normal and it doesn't need a label. It only has a label once it's abnormal. Exactly. Well, and that's, that's, that's what I feel like modern day uh, supremacy looks like. It looks like the idea of I'm totally talking about something, but I'm unaware I'm talking about it. And uh, it's like gender privilege too. It's like when I say all mankind, of course I'm talking about everyone, but that's the ultimate supremacy of gender privilege to make Uh yours the default and just Uh not even consider that anything else fits under that umbrella. And that's what's happening right now with like the hetero supremacy of the church. And so Mm -hmm. like, when you say don't talk about sexual orientation, it's just kind of like, so I, I had my own personal response to this because 
And again, my views are usually in the minority and then I make wise crack jokes about it. And (laughs) one thing leads to another, but, um, my reaction to the statement of you shouldn't bring in personal characteristics, political statements, or sexual orientation into meetings focused on the savior was to uh, make a Facebook post, a letter to uh, uh, Elder Oaks, letting him know that, oh, those things he loves talking about so much in general conference, he doesn't get to talk about those things anymore because it says in the handbook, (laughs) no more talking about personal characteristics like gender, sexual orientation, which are his favorite things to talk about. He talks Mm -hmm. about them all the time. I'm like, this has got to be killing Oaks that he's got to stop talking about it. Like, I feel (laughs) almost bad for the guy. Like, what is he going to talk about? The savior? And so... Anyway, I wrote, I wrote a little letter. Um, it was a little tongue in cheek and um, a little passive aggressive, but that's just part <laughs> of the course for Mormonism, baby. Um, and so I, again, this is its own kind of supremacy too. this idea of you can't talk about gender and sexual orientation, but the apostles and prophets could talk about it all day long in general conference and have all these things said, but no one on the ground floor can talk about these things. I mean, nope. that is just its own type of uh, uh, like, I don't know how more people or why more people aren't upset about this. The idea that the prophets and apostles are exempt from the guidelines in mm-hmm. the handbook. You know what I'm saying? It's like, aren't all alike unto God? prophets and apostles, peasants and priests, all of us, like, we all got to jump through the same hoops, right? But Mm -hmm. no, no. (laughs) Yeah. And it's this like Orwellian silencing, like you cannot speak about these things at all ever. We can, but you, you may not. It's just, it's ridiculous. Well, and And it's, it's so damaging. Goodbye, hon. It's so damaging. Sorry, Drew just left for work. (laughs) Um, It's so damaging to put people in a, and this extends way beyond the LGBTQ community. It's damaging to put people in a spiritual and worship environment where people are afraid to talk, are afraid to speak, are afraid to say these things. And this goes for anyone who's had any type of faith transition, worrying about whatever it is, the book of Abraham, whatever is your thing, like Mm -hmm. to be in a position where you go to Sunday worship and you know that you can't talk about the very things that religion is there to talk about. And Mm -hmm. so we've created these spaces um, to where it feels like um, compliance is next to godliness. Just so Mm -hmm. long as we're all in the echo chamber and uh, we're all, we're all on board with hegemony here, then we're okay. And anything outside that, that's what distracts from the savior. It's it's, it's, It's so damaging. Oh yeah. And it's called just just to clarify, you know, the TBM whisper here. It it's called obedience, not compliance. Blair, Sister Osler, <laughs> Sister Osler, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, well, and also too, it's just uh, it it's just I, I, I did my heart aches because I I really hope that other people do understand. Like this is an LGBT issue, but it's bigger than that too. It's like the authority constantly wants to um, silence silence the concerns and challenges of our day instead of actually. Um, hold a space for them to hold Mm -hmm. a space for the person who has questions about 
their gender identity and where they fit in the plan of salvation. The person who has questions and concerns about like the historicity of the Book of Mormon. And we just as a culture do not hold space for that. And people are like, oh, that's the culture. That's not the brethren. That's not the church. And it's like, but we're putting these things in the handbook. In the handbook, mm-hmm. it says, don't say these things that distract from the Savior. And I'm like, fine, lead by example then, brethren. Stop saying things that distract from the teachings of the Savior. Savior mm-hmm. never taught that your gender mattered for being a disciple of Christ. Never mm-hmm. taught that your partner's gender mattered to being a disciple of Christ. He said, love one another. He said, disciples of Christ will be known by their ability to love. These are the things the Savior talk, talked about. So like in the change in the handbook, it says we want the focus to be the Savior. Awesome. Let's make the Savior the actual focus then. Right. Because Jesus didn't teach anything about it being wrong to be gay or trans or whatever. Jesus never said that. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you went there because that was my first thought when you read the quote. Is it, it's a shithouse mess because like from beginning to end, because it names all these innocuous things that, that make us individuals that, that define and, and describe our character, like personal traits, sexual orientation. You can't tell a personal story. Show me one talk in sacrament meeting that doesn't have a personal characteristic, some mention of someone's sexuality uh, or, or sexual orientation. Like it's, these are innocuous or- things that all of a sudden... What? Well, you're you're absolutely right, and the 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 one that keeps coming to mind is they don't say gender, but gender is a personal characteristic. So the oh, yeah. moment you utter a pronoun, you're bringing something personal to the conversation. So whatever mm-hmm. they're trying to do in this original one, it's like it's kind of impossible to never talk about anything personal or you know what I'm saying like Mm -hmm. these are just part of our just part of our existence and who we are and so if you're trying to cut that out um it's it's just not gonna work and Mm -hmm. the other problem is okay so the sentence before that um it says uh that requires refraining from overt romantic sexual behavior which everybody's making the joke about the you know mormon sacramenty back rubs (laughs) You know, it's true though. No more, more. I know, I know. Well, it is funny too because I don't mind them. I'm like, mm-hmm. please rub backs for days. You guys enjoy. Right. It's the Sabbath. Uh-huh. You know, like I don't have a problem with it at all. But either. it also says so. The more the I know the more troubling part though is refrain from a romantic behavior. Oh, from dress and grooming that causes distractions. I feel this is a direct attack on Ooh. the trans community. I feel you like think? it's a direct attack on it. I do. That's how I feel about the dress and grooming standards that cause distractions. Yeah. I think that, um, of course, there's always latent, like, you know, women cover your shoulders, cover your body, or, cover your Or sleeves, colored cover. hair, you know, no, no colors of the rainbow sure. in your hair and piercings and sure. tattoos, all that. Sure. But the problem also with this, so when it comes to dress and grooming uh, standards that cause distractions, it's like you know, a, a trans person wouldn't cause a, dis- it wouldn't be a distraction if, you know, the congregation didn't make it a distraction. Mm-hmm. Like if, if someone wants to come to church wearing Hello Kitty rain boots, you say, Hey, nice boots. You don't have to make it a distraction. Like no. we, it, it's like, it almost feels pharisaical at this point to where we're going to say, you can come into the house of the Lord so long as your dress and grooming doesn't cause a distraction to the social norms that we've all pre-prescribed and established before you even got here. Amen. And it's like, Jesus never said that. 
Nope. But but here here's what worries me about this in the <coughs> excuse me in the original uh, passage is it says you know dress and grooming uh, standards and uh, personal characteristics sexual orientation it it, it it just it just they didn't have to put that in there right like you could have just removed the policy in the first place and just said hey look kids whose parents consent can just get baptized we're not going to worry about if they're polygamous or queer or trans or whatever we're mm-hmm. just going to let them get baptized and they could have left it at that but they didn't they had to put this in there. They had to like in the back door be like, Hey, just so you know, we're still not okay with it. And oh, in yeah. a weird way, <clears throat> excuse me, pardon me. Um, in a weird way. So like, it reminds me of, you know, back in the 1970s when um, the church was overtly racist and uh, had the uh, temple priesthood ban on uh, black people. It reminds me of like, uh, the, 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 the trouble came from BYU and sports uh, and sports teams not playing with BYU anymore because like, I think it was Stanford first. who was like, we're not going to play basketball with you because you guys are being racist. And then it was like Wyoming, Colorado, I think. And other ones joined in too and said, Hey, we're not going to play with you anymore. And this was a wake up call to BYU to be like, Oh, we can't be overtly racist anymore because people won't play ball with us. And so it's almost like, Exactly. And so what happened after that is the racism got more subversive, more just putting it in there. And I think it was uh, Wilkinson who uh, sent out a memo. Um, Don't quote me on the history because I'm not a historian, but um, I think it was Wilkinson who sent out a memo memo who said, we just need to deter black people from wanting to come to BYU entirely. Because if we just deter them from not coming here, we don't have to include them. And just make sure they know, look, you can't have interracial marriage and it's mostly uh, white people here anyway. So there's all these like uh, really serious racist things happening, but they couldn't be overtly racist. It's like taking place through memos of being like, we just need to make sure they know that this isn't a good place for them. And so I think about how horrible these things are and how horrible these experiences are. And that's what this feels like to me today. It feels like, and again, I'm not equating, you know, uh, uh, racism with uh, heterosexism and things like that. They're d- different movements, but there are some similar strategies that take place in the movements. And I feel like this is one of them. And the strategy is, look, we can't be overtly, uh, I'm going to say bigoted towards the queer community because when we did the November policy and excluded their kids from baptism and stuff, you know, we got pushback. We got a lot of pushback and not just from the queer community, but it was from the allies. And when straight people started giving pushback on this, then the church listens. They're like, oh man, even straight people are mad about this. Whoa. And that's so all eventually, they really care about. Oh yeah. It's, a, we got to retain the members and most of the members are straight and which mm-hmm. by the way, thank you straight members who totally stood up for us. Thank you. I'm handing out cookies today. That's all you. That's all you. <laughs> thank you. Um, but that's what it felt like. It felt like the church is like, oh, the November policy was overtly racist and people are going to take their ball and leave because they won't play ball with us anymore. So instead, let's just put in the handbook, 
you can't talk about yourself. You can't talk about queer issues. You can't do these things. And it feels like one of those subversive strategies to just make it that much harder for queer people to get in the pews. Because once queer people get in the pews, once black people start attending BYU and we start sitting next to each other and having a conversation at a good time, we start to realize, you know what? These differences don't matter. We're all children of God and maybe we should just all love each other. But that doesn't happen if queer people are all gone. We got to come there and we got to sit. And so the little things they can do to make it harder. We can't tell them their kids can't get baptized. That was too much. Straight people got mad. But maybe we could say mm -hmm. that you can't talk about your personal characteristics and sexual orientation anymore. And like, I know I'm coming from like a place of like cynicism and pessimism, but that is what this feels like. That I'm usually trying to give the benefit of the doubt. I'm trying to like find the positive side, but this specifically feels like a tactic used to say, let's just make it harder for you to come to church so that people won't get too close to you and fall in love with you and want you to come to the celestial kingdom with us all. <laughs> Can't have that. No, no, because that's how it, uh, that's how it does work. And even like the stats and studies have shown that once you have an LGBTQ person in your family, especially a child, you know, well, suddenly your views change. And that's, that's, that's been one of the like interesting things about the LGBTQ movement too. And why I think it's gaining traction more than other movements is because like um, two rich white people aren't going to all of a sudden give birth to a black baby. So racism is already physically divided, but with queer issues, you know, two straight people can give birth to a gay kid. And so you're automatically thrown into collision with someone who is very different from you. And so mm -hmm. it's a much different movement in that, um, you know, we, we have to sit by each other. We have to talk to each other and we develop relationships with each other and we love each other. And so the integration of queer folks into integration with straight folks is something unparalleled than, you know, the integration of like white folks and black folks like that takes um, significant effort to go outside your comfort zone and to be able to integrate in communities that aren't like that. Um, you know, same with economics, right? You know, rich people aren't always like hanging out with poor people and vice versa. So there's a stratification, but here we're all in the boat together. And so they're trying to separate us. They're trying to separate us and create these, um, policies of division, policies of silence to just be like, we're not going to talk about that. That's going to stay down there because we don't want you following in love with queer people because we're good people. We're, I'm, a, I'm a catch, Colleen. I'm you a are. Catch. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. And I'm like, my, my church was lucky to have me for as long as they did. <laughs> they were. God damn it. Mm -hmm. They were. <laughs> yep. So, but then after the fact, they they they, they released the changes. They released changes. Sorry, oh, I don't okay, know if you wait, want to go What's there the yet. timeline? What's the timeline here? So, when did this paragraph of the sentence that you read me? When did that? <laughs> when did that drop? That's a good question. I want to say, I didn't see it until Sunday. I think no, maybe it wasn't Sunday. We're talking within the span of a few days. How's that? It was and within this, the span of a few days. And this is the week <laughs> of December 15th is Sunday. So that's like the week of mm -hmm. December 15th. And then we found out about the finances like on the Monday or Tuesday, maybe? Like around, yeah, right around yeah, the it was, it was It was like the same time. It was like the yeah. same time. And so um, this dropped. And then in within a day or two, <laughs> three days maybe, um, they come out with a change. 
And they're, I'm there, like, oh, wow, they're, so they're already changing it. Was there a reaction in those three days that no one saw because of the whistleblower finance thing? Like, did people react and then they changed it or they just, oops, we, so, we probably should have said that. <laughs> um, well, people did react. A lot of people wrote things about like trauma and silence and what that has been like. I wrote my post demonstrating, oh, great. We're all not going to talk about this. Okay. Q15, you don't get to talk about it either then. <laughs> and so um, I think the changes were a reaction to the two big problems were, uh, okay, we can't tell queer people they can't say anything about themselves or we can't get rid of sexual orientation completely because there is the sense of hypocrisy that straight people and cis people can do and say all these things, but no one else can't. And the second one was, I mean, the handbook literally says that like the meeting should be focused on the savior and you can't talk about these other things. So the brethren should be the ultimate example of what that looks like, but the brethren can't not talk about gender and sexuality. So they have to change it to be like, Oh, I didn't mean it that way. I meant right. I can talk about it without distracting, you know, the meaning from the savior, but you can't. And then, but before we move on, I wanted to I keep trying and I, we keep getting distracted. But the thing I wanted to point out about this sentence that they're taking for granted, and I feel like we're giving them the benefit of not challenging this taking for granted that they're doing, is they say detract from the focus, detract the focus of the meeting from the savior. So hold up. They're making an assumption that Jesus Christ would not want to hear about uh, sexual orientation or from people whose sexual orientation is different from this norm that they're not even labeling. So by detracting the focus, like, th th like there's an assumption. Do, like, am I wrong? Do, do you feel that? There is. I totally feel the assumption. And it's intertangled with like also our cultural attitudes of like, um, when you say anything I disagree with, you're distracting from the Savior. And it's like, no, 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 actually, the Savior said a lot of things that people disagree with, and eventually it got him killed. So he was like the king of controversy right. um, in all the right ways. But you're right, there's this assumption that like, um, if you're talking about your uh, sexual orientation or personal characteristics, that um, you're not focused on the Savior anymore. And or that he wouldn't like that focus, that he would also ignore you and silence you if you tried to talk about your sexual, your queer love, basically, you know, is what they're saying. Exactly. A, a friend of mine on Facebook made a really great comment, Bonnie, hat tip Bonnie. She said something about, I wonder if... Um, if someone had leprosy today, if they could come to church and talk about their leprosy and what that would be like and this experience they're going through and this personal challenge or trial or whatever they're going through, if Jesus would say, no, don't let the lepers in. And it's like, Jesus would have done exactly the, the, the exact thing you're talking about. Like Jesus hung out on the margins with the lepers and he heard out, you know, the, 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 the people that were condemned by society, right? And so the, you're right. There is an assumption in the language that's really just, I don't know. At this point, I'm just like par for the course. Well, yeah, like Mormon God is this bigoted, racist, abusive, narcissistic. Like that's that this sentence paints that picture that his characteristic is homophobic, you know, and bigoted. Like I hate uh, Yeah. 
It's so funny. Our views of Jesus and God are more reflections of ourselves than anyone Uh who ever actually existed. It's, you know, Jesus and God are like the ultimate Warshak test. It tells you more about yourself than it does any deity. And that's what we have right now. And cue that quote that said that um, man created God in his own image. Uh Uh-huh. Amen. In his image. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to throw that. I'm going to throw that in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause it's true. That so is anyway, that Rorschach test. <laughs> it's true. And, um, it, it's just sad too, that I feel, I feel discouraged most when other people don't see it. When other people are like, well, yeah, that's what God wants. God wants X, Y, Z, whatever, uh, authority figure is telling me. And I'm just mm-hmm. thinking like, have you looked at all the past prophets and the different things they said? And you really just think this prophet, what they're saying right now today is the ultimate thing on God. And so it's like, it's like in Mormonism, there's only two prophets, the current prophet and Joseph Smith. If you could square it with those two, you're golden. Everything Uh else in the middle, we can kind of forget about and erase and get around or whatever. Oh, he was just a communist. He was just a, you know, whatever, Uh like, we can get around everything, but if you can square it with the current prophet and Joseph Smith, you're pretty much good. And, and it's so discouraging to me because the current prophet is always a product of their current times. Uh, when we are racist, air quotes, God is racist. When we are heterosexist, God is heterosexist. And I, I just wish more people would see that we're the ones behind the wheel doing this y'all. I I swear. I honestly think that we have like heavenly parents out there going like, uh, y'all know I didn't say that. I didn't do that. Y'all are the ones doing that. Like what, what, what happened you guys? What happened? You know, I didn't (laughs) tell you to be racist. Where did that come from? Mm -hmm. You know? So I, so anyway, I, I cut you off in the timeline, I think, is where where we got lost. So, Oh, no, you're fine. The revision. So, like, three days later, you said there were revisions, there were reactions. What were the revisions? So, there was one revision particular to, uh, let me pull it up, to the sentence about not being able to talk about these things in church. And so, the um, last sentence of the paragraph now says, here's the revised sentence, it says, It also precludes making political statements or speaking of sexual orientation or other personal characteristics in a way that detracts from the meeting's focus on the savior. So the in a way part is the one that um, is new. And so like to me, this was the ultimate thing of saying, if you're doing it in a way that detracts, you're the one who's got the problem. But guess what? the apostles and prophets will never do it in a way that attracts from the savior. And so I could talk about gender and sexuality in a way that doesn't detract from the savior, but you can't. And so in some ways, so there's mixed feelings about this. Like some people are really happy about this change and I get where they're coming from about, okay, it says in a way, so you can talk about gender and sexual orientation, but I'm also kind of like, yeah, but it says in a way that detracts from the state savior. So what that really does is empower local authority leaders like your bishop to determine, oh, mm-hmm. you did or didn't do that the right way. And so like you create this like big brother effect of like, 
did I say the right thing? Did I say it the right way? Am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to get turned in? What's going to happen next? And so to me, I feel like it's not better. I feel like it's worse. Um, yeah. And I know some people do think it's better. And I, I want to support them in that, that they're like, hey, but it does leave the door open to talk about it now. But I'm like, yeah, but it leaves the door open to talk about it only in the pre-prescribed way as defined by local authorities so that they keep the upper hand on the conversation. Okay. Yeah. It so, reminds me of those doors in uh what is it? Um Indiana Jones that like ching ching, you know, like <laughs> that kind of door. You never yes, know when exactly. it's gonna kill you. <laughs> and sometimes you're gonna get away with it. But you know, it's a door. It's a door. You're ex- yeah, you're exactly right. That's how it feels. That it's just like, oh, like, like you're right, like double dutch, like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um and so for me, I, I'm, not, I'm not happy about this just because like when I read the change, I felt personally triggered by my own experiences of yes. being left to local authorities about uh-huh. when you can and can't talk about it. Because that's what this does. This says basically that, that the local authorities will decide in, 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 whether or not it was distracting from the savior or not. Yeah. And that always hasn't been a pleasant experience for me. So I'm not happy about that. So cue the very eloquent and beautiful and vulnerable post. You made a guest post for the Exponent 2 blog. Did you want to talk about that at all? Sure. Yeah, we could definitely talk about it. I can give a uh, brief uh, summary. So it was actually an experience I hadn't talked about publicly because uh, it, it was it was so traumatic. Like I had made comments and allusions here and there, but I had never like actually sat down and wrote the experience to share it and process it, like what yeah. actually had happened. And um, so with all these changes in the handbook, I was like, I got to write about this because I know what it like. I know what it's like to live what they're talking about, to live being silenced, to live being like, is someone going to turn me in? What is my Bishop going to think of this? And, da, da, da. and so I wrote this blog post for, um, exponent about my experience five years ago, I was, um, called into, uh, my Bishop's office, uh, and threatened with the formal disciplinary council for things I was saying online about, uh, feminist and LGBTQ issues. And it's so funny. I look back now, Colleen, I look back now on the things I was saying and they were so tame. They were so tame. It was like, God loves me and gave me, gave me a voice and God cares about women too. Like they were so hopeful. They were so, uh, these were really good things. And one of the things I was like, uh, it was during the time it was right when gay marriage was legalized in the U S. And so I uh, was celebrating that. I was like, isn't this great? People can marry who they love. Like my post that he was complaining about, he was complaining about things that I'm like, today like the things I say now if I were still in the old war I'd be excommunicated three times over they'd be like we're gonna excommunicate you for that comment too Blair um but so when I look back on the things I wrote that he called me into the office for I just kind of chuckle to myself because I'm like you you just poked at a sleeping beast 
You ought not to have done that. And I didn't know that at the time though. I was so scared. I was so terrified. I'd been in the ward a long time. I was their primary president, but at that time I was serving as personal progress leader. So I was working with the young women on their goals and things like that, you know, body positive imagery and just all sorts of things. Just like, you know, I love working with the young women. I love working with the youth. And so we were doing personal progress goals and everything. And Drew at the time was the bishop's secretary. And, um, he was going to be the the second counselor just because the second counselor was moving and Drew's just got a heart of gold. So, you know, um, and so like, we're like in this space where, you know, we're doing, we're, we're doing, we're doing the Mormon life. We're Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. We're doing the things, you know, and at this time Drew knew I was by, but no one else did. And mm-hmm. so, um, when the Bishop threatened to have a formal disciplinary council for the things I was saying online, I was just, I was shaken. I was shaken hardcore. And I was shaken because uh, he said that multiple people had commented and basically turned me in to the stake president and to the bishop. And uh, I felt betrayed by my leaders. I felt betrayed by my friends, by my community. Um, I just felt so betrayed. But, But the worst part was none of them even knew I was actually queer. They didn't know I was talking about myself. Even just in theory, the idea of LGBTQ acceptance and inclusion was, was, was that bad that they were considering taking my temple recommend way for it. So, um, I, 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 you can read it in the post and everything. I'm not going to go into the emotional parts because I might start crying. But the long story short is um, after I left Bishop's office, I, I had my first panic attack ever. And, um, and I didn't know what it was at the time because I didn't, I didn't know what a panic attack was. And um, I eventually would have them regularly after church and things got really bad. My mental health, I was um, very, very, very sad and scared about who can I talk to? Who can I talk to? What can I say? What can't I say? And um, one of their, um, uh, one of their uh, stipulations for me keeping my temple recommend is that I had to go delete all my posts. And I had to go delete all the things on social media. And so it was like, really like, I wasn't just being silenced now. I was being like past silence. I was literally being erased, literally being erased. And I'm just like, how can you expect people to come worship in a community that treats you like this, that treats you like this? And so um, it took me a while to muster up the courage to be able to um, confront this and talk about this and to be able to, um, find the space to process these kinds of things. I mean, I'm still in therapy and it's not just for that. I mean, you know, a lifetime of queer (laughs) shaming will do that too, but, um, it just, in some ways, I wish there was a way to be like, uh, I wish I could go back and hug Blair five years ago and tell her, you don't know it yet, but you are so strong you are going to do things, you're going to say things, and you're going to be confident, and you're going to be loving. And right now, it might seem like the end of the world and super hard, but you, it's not the end of the world. I wish I could go back and give her a big hug. And I feel like like today, right now, I think about like these changes in the handbook and what it means to silence people in these kinds of ways and the damage it's going to cause. And not even just for me. So Drew, as I mentioned, he's bishop secretary at the time. And so mm-hmm. once Drew and I talked about it and he fa- found out everything that happened, like 
Drew was upset. And I'm, I'm not like going to be happy about this, but I really am, is <laughs> that um, it was one of the contributing factors to his faith crisis, is yeah. that this bishop would call in his queer wife who was like doing, like I literally was living my life exactly the way the church wanted me to in every possible way. Word of wisdom, law of chastity, following the callings, all the things like, you know, I was, I was living the, the, the law, you know? Yeah. And, um, Drew saw the Bishop treating me this way. And, um, that combined with other things, I was like, Oh, I, I'm glad you feel that way, Drew. Here's some information in literature. I want you to start reading. Cause I think you're ready to hear it. <laughs> and yeah. so I gave him a little nudge, little nudge in the right direction. But eventually, um, I didn't write this in the exponent piece, but, um, Drew, uh, asked to be resigned, uh, released from his calling. He resigned from his calling cause he was like, I can't be a part of a bishopric that does things like this. Um, it's not right. It's not okay. And and I, I can't kneel with you. I can't pray with you. I can't mm -hmm. be a part of this with you. And um, so part of that was me and part of that was other faith things he was going through too. But again, it triggered it. And so like to go back in time and tell like the leaders, the bishop, the brethren, whoever, like you are creating, you created me and Drew. You created this. The, the, the woman I am today in so many ways, like um, I, 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 I am what you made me like you did. Mm -hmm. You poked at the beast. You woke her up and she said, all I wanted to do was say happy things about women and feminism and LGBTQ people. <laughs> That's all I wanted to do, but you couldn't even handle that. So guess what? Mm -hmm. Gloves off. Let's talk mm -hmm. about this. Then let's talk about this. You couldn't have just be content to leave well enough alone to just say, Oh, look, she loves the queers. Right. I'm like, <laughs> no, actually I'm queer and I'm going to have a sign. I'm going to march in the parade and I'm going to show that like, you can't silence us. You can't, yeah. you can't use weaponize silence as a way to erase us. We won't be erased. We won't. Yeah. I just wanted to point out Blair, you, you grew up queer. I also grew up queer, but when I listen to you, your queer upbringing and my queer upbringing and by queer, I mean like we had an inkling, but we were Mormon. So it's a mm -hmm. very like compartmentalized tiny piece of an identity that you don't want to look at. But I feel like you were already in such a strong place when they poked that bear because you, you identified very strongly and passionately with your queerness so much so that you had shared it with your husband who understood it to such a deep place that he would, he would make comments and be like, babe, that's you. I understand when they're talking about this, that they're talking about you. And you have that, that strength and that passion and that, that quiet, firm presence that you had communicated to him. So when they poked you, you were like a powder keg, baby. You were ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. It did take some time. It took some time to gather and collect that confidence because like, for me, I was more confident in owning myself as being queer um, than I was about losing my faith community. Like yeah. that just, it was, it felt like such a devastating loss. And in many ways it still does. It still does. Even though I, you know, I stopped going to church about, 
two years ago, actually. And it, mm-hmm. a lot of it had to do with panic attacks. And it was yeah. the strangest thing when I stopped going to church, anxiety and panic, panic attacks just started going away. And I was like, well, if I'm, if it's better for me not to be in the pews, no matter what I believe, if it's better and healthier and safer for me to not be in the pews, maybe I shouldn't be in the pews. And, and you so, um, yeah, well, physically, my body made me honor that. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I did honor that. And um, so, and still in many ways, losing my faith community in this sense um, has been a devastating loss, like, in some ways, and it, it is challenging for uh I'll say believing queer Mormons. I'm my own kind of believing Mormon. I don't know if anybody believes the things I believe, (laughs) but I consider myself a believing Mormon. It's although it's all very queer and weird, but um, as a transhumanist, exactly. Um, (laughs) So as far as being like, for me, a believing Mormon, I kind of feel like just like wandering in the wastelands, looking for a place to worship, because no matter where you go, there isn't really like a safe place to worship what I actually Mm -hmm. believe. It was like, uh, you know, when Charlton Heston played Moses in the Ten Commandments, and he got exiled, and he's like wandering in the desert for 40 years and 40 nights. I'm like, oh, I get that, Moses. I get that. I feel that. I feel that very much so that no matter how hard you believe and no matter how hard you want to belong, sometimes deep down, you just know you don't. And you got to kind of honor that too. And I think part of my own personal transition too was just recognizing, and this is just an earlier thing in the last year that I've been doing with myself is just like, Blair, you don't have to surround yourself with people that make you feel bad. You Mm -hmm. don't have to do that. And not only that, you're like, Sometimes I'm just tired of fighting for my seat at the table and I'm just kind of like, well, I'm just going to go to a different table then. Like (laughs) y'all just aren't, y'all just aren't being very nice and you're not even teaching what Jesus taught. Um, And so it's, it's been difficult, but the, the, the changes to the handbook were triggering for me because I did have personal experience with this idea of, uh, silencing people, not being able to come out and talk about queerness and um, just uh, the trauma that comes with that. I mean, and it is, it is trauma to know that um, your community is trying to erase you with silence, that if you're yeah. quiet, we can just pretend it's not there. And it's like, yeah. but, but I, I am here. I am. Like, what do you want me to do about that? Just not be here anymore. And that's what it kind of feels like. It's like one more thing we can do to make it harder for queer people to come to church. Yeah. And the flip thing that I, that, that I'm internalizing listening to you is kind of that difference in awareness and owning your identity. This tactic that the church is pulling hundred percent worked on me 100 percent and and you're saying that the message that they're sending is that you shouldn't be here the message that i received my whole life was that you aren't that period Mm. and so i erased that part of my identity and so like i think that's where i it it sounds so different You, you talking about you know your upbringing in Mormonism and being queer and is so different than mine is that that awareness that I listened and I denied and compartmentalized and erased that part of my identity and so I just I don't know like I don't know which is more traumatic right well and well and it's so it's so interesting too like every time I talk to someone who's LGBTQ and their own experience it's so true 
that everyone has had their own experience about this and everybody is experiencing their own trauma and processing this trauma. And like for you, yours is not uncommon either. This is like, we, this is like why we have to come out to ourselves and where we're like, Oh my gosh. Like, this is why you get people in their forties or like poor Ed smart being like, Oh my gosh, I was gay. Like you can't, when you are in such an oppressive situation and you can't even come out to yourself that it gets to the point where it's like you it's almost like you alienate yourself from yourself out of like yeah. out of yeah. safety out of a way mm-hmm. to just be like I'm not that thing I, of course I'm not that thing and I used to think that too because I remember in my youth like hearing queer all the time is a negative term and mm-hmm. I knew queer was bad and so for me I was like oh well I'm not queer because I'm not bad I know mm-hmm. I'm not bad there's no way and so I'm not that thing and right. it's like oh but you are that thing and guess what that thing, that thing's not bad. They're trying to make you sound like it's bad or make it sound like it's bad, but it's not bad. It's just part of you and it's okay. And I just, I just long for the day that we get past this. And it's just like, like eye color or hair color or whatever. It just doesn't matter. It's just Mm -hmm. part of who we are, a characteristic. And like, and, and it's so true. Just like, all are alike unto God. And like, I, it makes me so sad when I hear people disaffected from the scriptures and disaffected from religion and things like that, because I'm like, sometimes I'm like, no, the scriptures were right. They said all are alike unto God. Jesus said, we love each other. Jesus never said, don't be gay. Like, but I feel like somewhere along the way, like prophets, leaders, people, congregations, culture, all of it seeps in and ruins the best parts of our scripture and we, we, we bring in all these prejudices and all our biases of bigotry and we, we mix it in. When we talk about the philosophies of men mingled with scripture, that's what I think of when I think of heterosexism and cissexism, philosophies yeah. of men mingled with scripture, trying mm-hmm. to make the scriptures to be homophobic or cisphobic, you know, when they're not, it doesn't, it shouldn't have to be that way. It should be the opposite way. We should bring in ultimate love and charity to our scriptures and then interpret and then interpreting them. Mm-hmm. Got it all oh. backwards. Yeah. Whew. Well, did you have any closing thoughts? Gosh, that was heavy. I don't want to end on such a heavy note. I know. But I love I love what you have shared with me about your own personal experience and journey too because um the the more stories I hear from queer people like I know it's sad, but it also brings me incredible hope. Like more and more people every day are becoming more in touch with themselves and understanding their gender better or their sexual orientation better. And though it's a messy, hurtful process for me, I just kind of like at the same time, I'm like, but we're not alone. You guys, we have, we have each other. We can get through this together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess if there is an ending comment to this or anything, um, you don't have to be silent. You don't have to listen to this. And though sometimes, yes, there are social repercussions and disciplinary repercussions. Hey, I've been a part of that too. And I honor everyone's journey. But at the end of the day, like, I won't be silent. And so if you don't want to be silent, I'll be not silent with you. And we're stronger when we're together. I honor your journey and my journey. And I know that the movement is messy and we don't always get it right, but I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. Thank you, Blair.
Hmm. Thank you for having me, Colleen. Thank you. I love coming on your show. I love Mormon Happy Hour. <laughs> it's 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 the best, in my humble opinion, because I get to do it, and it's really awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you. Hopefully, next time we get together, it will be on a more positive note. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think we hit Anytime. on some really, really good deep topics. That man, oh, such good stuff. Well, thank you. I'll let you get back to your busy holiday and, you know, all of that. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Colleen, and Merry Christmas. And feel better. (laughs) Oh, I will. I know. I'm going to keep taking my cough drops and eventually I'll be up to 100% again. You will. You will. (laughs) Well, thanks, Blair. Love you. Thanks. wraps up today's topics. We are so glad you stopped by. Be sure to join the Mormon Happy Hour on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you smiled, please drop us a five-star review wherever you found us. See you next week. Cheers!